We good? Yep. Praise God. Well, wonderful to be here again. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Trevor Rubenstein. I'm with an organization called Chosen People Ministries. Uh, we are the oldest organization in America that reaches out to the Jewish people with the gospel. Um, I happen to run the Minnesota branch of this organization, and we're located in St. Louis Park for obvious reasons. For those of you who don't know, uh, that community is actually 25% Jewish. Um, it's, uh, I think the city is about the same size here as, uh, as Oakdale. No, it's larger, actually. And so, so there's about 15,000 Jewish people living within that community. And so we're blessed to be there to serve. I myself was born and raised in Virginia, Minnesota to a conservative Jewish home up by the Iron Range area. And uh, there were actually a decent-sized Jewish community there many years ago. Uh, I think 110 Jewish families is what I read. Because at a time where a lot of the Jewish people were immigrating uh, from Russia in particular, generally because of uh, persecution, uh, when they came to America, the Iron Range of Minnesota was a boom town. It was a, it was a booming, uh, thriving area. And so, of course, they would want to go where they could find work. And so that's where a lot of people were. That's where my family was. I was raised in what's called a conservative Jewish home, which is not a political affiliation. It has to do with actually just conserving the traditions of Judaism. And uh, we did that, and then we moved to Littleton, Colorado. Um, without getting into too much detail, I was a troubled kid. I uh, eventually um, got into a local uh, community college in which I was uh, tricked into a Bible study. I say tricked. Because uh, the group that brought me in, if I had heard that this was a Bible study, the one thing I was sure of as a Jewish person was that I was not supposed to believe in Jesus as my promised Lord and Savior. And, uh, and so I didn't hear what the individual said. It wasn't that he intentionally tricked me. I think that the Lord allowed my ears to be, to be deafened at that moment. Um, and, but I went and I read the words of Jesus, particularly out of the parable of the prodigal son, the story of a young man who asks for his father to receive his inheritance early. And he takes that inheritance and he goes and he squanders it. And when he squanders his inheritance, he's left impoverished. And he remembers that even the servants at his father's home were living better life than he was at that point in time. And so this individual then returned to his father's house. He said, he asked his father to let him return to be a servant. And his father embraced him and said, you're not a servant, you're my son. This powerful story of redemption that really is something that we could all understand as the Lord has waiting for us with open arms just to return to him. But it meant nothing to me other than it was for the first time in my life I felt the presence of God. This is a difficult thing for a Jewish person to wrestle with because this individual, the one person that we are not supposed to believe in as our Lord and Savior is the same individual who brought me to the point of recognizing these things because these three things hit me. Number one, God is real because I was kind of an atheist actually at that point in time. The second thing is everything I was doing in my life was separating me from him. I was living a very sinful lifestyle. And then the third thing was the only way that I can come to know God is through this person, Jesus. And after struggling with it for a little while, I eventually gave my life to the Lord and he really saved me from a lot of things. I struggled with depression, with being suicidal. He removed that from me. I, I no longer wanted to end my life. So you see, Jesus, more than just 
saved my life physically, which I'm very confident that if it wasn't for him, I would have taken it. But he also gave me eternal life. And, and so for me, I saw him as literally the difference between life and death. And so my focus and my goal from that point forward became helping other people know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And by the grace of God, I'm very blessed to work in the organization that I do today. What we're going to talk about today is a holiday that actually begins tomorrow evening. This holiday is called, uh, it's, it's referred to in the Jewish community as Rosh Hashanah. It's a, we'll, we'll talk about the meanings of that, but it's the Feast of Trumpets. And before we go into any detail or anything about this topic, let's pray. Alvinu Malkinu, our Lord and our King God, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. You're so good to us. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf, God, for the things that you have done for us, Lord, for your uh, kindness, your mercy, Father, for sending your Son to die on the cross so that if we believe in you, Father, that we can have eternal life, God, we can never pay you back for these things, Lord. But Father, we take these opportunities to celebrate and to praise you, God. Lord, to proclaim your name to the lost and hurting world, Father. And so, God, we ask that you empower us, that you embolden us, and that you strengthen us, Father, so that we can do your will. We love you, and we praise you. But in the name of your Son, Jesus the Messiah, B'Shem Yeshua, Amen. Am I getting feedback because of this, maybe? Okay. Good, good. All right, well, praise God. So you guys will notice that I have something back here. It's, uh, this is what we call a shofar. This one is particularly large. They aren't necessarily this size, but it's something that we use during the Feast of Trumpets. I'm going to do the most horrible job of blowing one of these that you'll ever hear. Horrible. You can kind of get a gist of the sound. There's people that are very good at it. I'm not one of them. But this is part of what we do during the Feast of Trumpets as we blow trumpets. The shofar is an ancient form of trumpet. They typically are made out of ram's horns. And it has to do with really for the Jewish people, the way that they celebrate it today is they celebrate it meaning that this is the head of the year. This is the beginning of the year for them. It's fascinating that it's the beginning of the year for the people of Israel, for the Jewish people, because it's the seventh month on their calendar which is kind of an unusual thing. It's like uh, celebrating New Year's in July. It's uh, kind of unusual. But we'll, we'll talk about why. Really, uh, the name for it in the Scriptures is Yom Teruach. It's the Feast of Trumpets. It's according to Jewish tradition, the Day of Judgment. So it's a day that enters into the most important holy season for the people of Israel, for the Jewish people. Because there's three holidays that all come within a very short distance of time. It begins with this, with Rosh Hashanah, with the Feast of Trumpets. Then it goes into what we call Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is a time in which the Jewish people are supposed to repent of all of their sins for the next year. And so this day leads us into the most holy time. And then it concludes a few days after the Day of Atonement where we have a feast that's called Tabernacles. 
And tabernacles is to commemorate when the people of Israel dwelt in tents in the presence of God and it is to look forward to when one day we will dwell in the presence of our Lord again. And this begins this time. The Feast of Rosh Hashanah is is, uh, practiced and celebrated in very particular ways. One of which has to do with the blowing of the shofar. And the blowing of the shofar, it's, a, it's a, something that we do that historically was done to signal or to assemble the community. When the trumpets were sounded, what that often meant was maybe an enemy was coming, so be ready. It was really a, a sign of being prepared, being ready for what's coming, for what God is about to do, what is going to happen within the community. It was something that was done really sometimes in order to understand or to remember because when the people of Israel heard the Lord speaking on the top of Mount Sinai when Moses was receiving the law from God, he describes it as hearing it as if it were a trumpet. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 19, we don't need to switch any slides yet, I'll let you know. Verses 18, through, uh, verses 18 and 19 says this, Now all the people witnessed the thundering, the lightning, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said, Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. So the way that God's voice was understood was to be like a loud trumpet sound, something that was that was very uh, um, well it, it, more so than just a simple voice would be. Uh, actually, often in Scripture you'll hear of God's voice being described in something that sometimes is incredibly loud, but almost that you can feel it. It's so strong, right? So, so something greater than what our yelling could be. So something had to be amplified. God's voice sometimes is described as thunder. And thunder is something you can feel, not just hear. It's described as a waterfall, if it, like many waters falling. If you guys have ever been under a waterfall or by a waterfall, you can feel the sound. And this was how God's voice was described. So sometimes this is done in remembrance of how God spoke, excuse me, spoke to the people of Israel from Mount Sinai. The author of Hebrews also talks about this, the tangible sound of the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 and 19, he says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest, the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the word, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. God's word is so intense that it's something that's loud beyond our voices. And so we blow the shofar to remember how God spoke to us. Blowing of the shofar is to announce the time of the great day of the Lord. Throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, whenever it describes the day of the Lord, often it is intertwined with the sound of a coming trumpet, with a loud trumpet blast. It's to express the soul of our people, our despair, our penitence, our our hope, our earnest expectation. 
During the Feast of Trumpets, the Jewish people will blow 100 blasts from the shofar. There are different types of blasts. Somebody who is much more talented than I at the shofar can actually make it into something that's more musical. The tekiah, which is a long blast which starts off everything and it's really a call to arms. Then there, after that is something that we call shevarim and it's galloping, it's broken, it's, it's little toots of the horn one after the other. Then there is something that is Three sobering sounds and they are to remind us of our sinful, broken state. And then eventually we have the, the teruah. And then, event, and then after that we have nine short sounds in the cycle of the blast that conclude with a long wailing tekiah gadol, which is, which is really a great, large blast. Extreme. Gadol means large. And so this is something that we do and we hear these sounds and they're to bring to our attention and to our minds and to our spirit the things of God and the mindset that He wants us to be in for the coming of the Lord, for our weeping, for our brokenness before a sinful God. You see, the, the holidays that God had set up for the people of Israel are fascinating and a little different than sometimes the way that we express holidays and celebrations because God wants us to remember things through all of our senses. He wants us to remember things through what we see, what we taste as we'll hear about, what we hear. And these things all bring to memory and bring to attention the things of God because He doesn't want us to forget what this is about. During this time, because it is the time of the new year for the people of Israel. And so you have to understand for the Jewish people, everything is cyclical. It's a little different than the way that we think about it in the Western culture. Where time progresses, but time progresses over and over and over like a wheel that's turning and moving forward at the same time. But eventually you come around to that same point in the wheel. And because this is the, the time of the new year, it's something that we do is we often will dress in new clothes, we'll eat new foods. It's something that we do to really bring forth what we're hoping for for this next year. The people of Israel during this time is when we are reminded that we need to get right with God because the Day of Atonement is coming. So we need to repent before a holy God. I can always tell when this time of year comes along because I hear from my relatives apologizing for things. And this is... This is I, I, I remember at different times in my life I was thinking... We call it the days of awe between this holiday and the next one, which is the Day of Atonement. And I remember thinking, is it the days of awe? Because I'm hearing people telling me they're sorry. This is not usual. This is not common, but, but it's something that we do. It's a time of year that we start to refer to God as King in the Jewish homes, which I think prophetically becomes very significant, which we'll talk about. Something that I want us to understand before I get into the real text of the biblical text as we really break down this holiday is the Jewish holidays all are prophetic. They all point forward to something with the Messiah. It's maybe a little bit unlike some of the things that we're used to where a lot of the holidays that we celebrate commemorate things in the past, which many of the Jewish holidays do that also, but then they, in addition to that point forward. 
Let me go over this very quickly so that you have a, a brief understanding. We've gone over some of the things in this church before. But on the same calendar date that God was going to free the people of Israel from their slavery in Egypt, when He passed over the homes of Israel by having them put the blood of the Lamb over their homes is the same calendar date that Jesus, our Messiah, shed His blood, our Lamb, He shed His blood so we could be passed over the judgment that's due to us because of our sin. The same date. So it prophetically pointed forward to that. Then there's another Jewish holiday that comes right after. It's called First Fruits. And First Fruits is to commemorate when the people of Israel passed through the sea because Pharaoh, after this plague had occurred where the death of the firstborn hid every home that did not have the blood of the Lamb over them that we just described, Pharaoh had let the people of Israel go from their slavery. And they came up to this great sea and then Pharaoh's army was charging after them. And God told Moses to raise up his arms and the sea parted and the people of Israel passed through the sea and then Pharaoh's army came charging after them and the sea collapsed on them. That day the people of Israel passed from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. That's the exact same calendar day that Jesus rose from the dead. So Jesus then, in raising from the dead, He allows us to pass from slavery in our sin that leads to death into freedom of eternal life through His resurrection for those of us that put our faith in Him. There's another major Jewish holiday which we talked about here also. It's called the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot. And the Feast of Weeks is to commemorate when Moses comes down with the law. And when Moses comes down with the law, he sees the people worshiping the golden calf and God had instructed the people to strike down 3,000 people who would not worship God but instead were worshiping an idol. This is the exact same calendar day that the Spirit of God came upon the church the day of Pentecost so that the Holy Spirit came and dwelt within us and 3,000 people received eternal life. So the holidays of Israel are all prophetic. And what's interesting is we have after after the Feast of Weeks, we have a long gap of time. It's through the summer. And during that time through the summer, all of a sudden we pick up on holidays again on these feasts. And the feast again, as we said, starts with this one, with the Feast of Trumpets. Then we go into the Day of Atonement and then into Sukkot, which all are prophetic and point forward to the things it looks like very clearly to us that have to do with our Lord's return. And so during this time, we look at at God as King. This is in the Jewish homes because they do not recognize that Jesus is God. They do not recognize that Jesus is the promised Messiah. But they read through different Psalms. The Psalms that they read through are Psalms 113 through 118. And within these Psalms, it depicts enthroning a king. And how interesting that the people of Israel, when they look at this day, one of the things that they are reminded of is that God is going to be our King. We'll talk more about that in a bit. In ancient Near Eastern culture, the heralding of a new king was associated with the new year. 
this was something that was always done. What we do in Jewish homes often during this time of year is we tell people when we are speaking to them, we say, Lashana Tova, which really is a shortened version of may your name be inscribed for another good year. This is what we wish people because we want them to have another good year. Because it's understood that if we are forgiven in 10 days from tomorrow, that that on that day, if we are forgiven, then our names will be written in the book of life for one more year. You see, the Jewish people, instead of having an understanding of an eternal forgiveness through Jesus the Messiah, it is an annual cycle. Every year, we, when we come to this day, we start to repent so that we hope that we can be forgiven on Yom Kippur and then God will allow us to continue for another year. Often on this day, we have something that we do, a tradition that we call Tishlich. And what we do is we take bread or something and we put it into the water as it's a symbol of us casting our sins away and they're taken off and so that the Lord will take them from us. We do this because the prophet Micah says, you will cast all the sins into the depths of the sea. It's a time for us really of spiritual renewal. Let's go to the next slide. In the book of Nehemiah, it's taking place after the nation of Judah was taken into captivity in Babylon. And when we were taken into captivity, there was a time to where the king of Babylon, uh, uh, the king of Cyrus, uh, the king of Persia eventually allowed the people of Israel to return to the nation state of Israel and to rebuild the temple and their walls. But during this time, because of the 70 years in captivity, they forgot many of the things that they were supposed to do. Many of the practices, they forgot how they were supposed to worship the Lord and what was to happen. And if we look in Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're going to focus here in verses 1 and 2 and then 11 and 12, but I'll, I'll read through different sections of this. Listen to what it says. After the people came back, they rediscovered the law and they realized that they were supposed to do certain things that God was instructing them. It says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate and they told Ezra, Ezra was the religious leader at this point in time for the nation state of Israel and the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of the men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. This is the day of the Feast of Trumpets. And so they discover the law during the time of the Feast of Trumpets. It goes on in verse 6, as you won't see here again, it's just 11 and 12 that we're going to focus on. And it says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen and Amen. While lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. 
And so, in verses 11 and 12, we see some of the things that they did when they rediscovered the law of God on this day that starts tomorrow night. It says, So the Levites, who are the religious leaders, quieted all the people saying, Be still for the day, or for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. So the Jewish people today really carry on these traditions on this day. What we do is we celebrate. We praise God. God had brought us the law. He gives us understanding. God allows us to enter into a time of holiness with Him. This is the beginning of the year for us. So we often eat sweet things because it is sweet for us to remember and sweet for us to... We, we want it to be a sweet New Year. So this is what we do and we celebrate and we eat and we drink. It's not a time of mourning, but a time of praise and joy. Something that I brought for everybody downstairs is, is a, a bread that's called challah. And some of you maybe have had challah. It's generally a kneaded bread that is put together. It's, not, it's a very sweet bread. It actually makes the best French toast that you've ever had. It's an egg bread. But the one that I brought is round. And we eat round challah this time of year because it reminds us of the circle of the year. And something that we do with it is we dip it in honey if it wasn't good enough. And, and we dip it in honey because we want it to be sweet for us. We want to remember the sweetness of our Lord. And so what a wonderful time of year this can be right now. You know, often during New Year's, we have New Year's resolutions. You know, I, I'm going to lose some weight or I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, you know, read my Bible more. You know, all the things that we fail. But what a wonderful time this is right now to be able to have a form of spiritual renewal because historically, when we read the Word of God, this is when the people of God renewed their commitment to Him at the time of Nehemiah when they had returned from their captivity in Babylon. And so it's a time of spiritual renewal that we can all enter into where no matter where we're at, no matter what kind of struggling we're having, no matter what's going on, we can remember that this was the time that the people of Israel recommitted themselves to the Lord and the Lord was gracious and merciful and loved them and accepted them fullheartedly. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, it's not the next slide, but it says this, I was in the Spirit of the Lord's day and I heard... Behind me, a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And so, what, what, this is also a good time. You know, we, the voice of the Lord is like a trumpet. It's a good time to listen to the instructions of God. And to make sure that God's instructions aren't just something that we hear, but then something that we do. It's a good time to commit of ourselves to Him during this time of spiritual renewal. And it's interesting because our Lord says this very clearly, no matter where we are, no matter what we have done, no matter how we have fallen short, that it's never too late for us to turn back to God. You know, in Hebrew, the word for repentance is teshuvah. 
It literally means to turn around. It's literally what the word means. It's simply to turn around. Here's the thought. Here's the thought. And 1 John actually talks about this, where 1 John says that you're either in darkness or in light. You can't be at the same place at the same time. God is light and our sin is His darkness. And so he really gives this depiction. He says you're either facing sin with your back towards God or you're facing God with your back towards sin. And if you find yourself facing sin with your back towards God, turn around. And in 1 John chapter 1, he says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord forgives everything. Jesus' blood is powerful enough to overcome any of our sins, so it's never too late for us to enter into a time of spiritual renewal. Let's go to the next slide. The instructions that the people of Israel have to celebrate this feast go like this. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. This was a very confusing section of Scripture to the people of Israel. These are really their only instructions as to what they're supposed to do during the Feast of Trumpets. So what does that mean? It's very limited in what we're supposed to do and, and what's, what's specifically given to us. But what, what uh, we then develop later traditions and things that come on. But it's very clear that it says that this is a memorial of blowing of trumpets. And so the people of Israel would ask a memorial for what? We don't know what happened on this date. So they have some theories and some ideas. One of those theories is that this is the day that the Spirit of God went over the waters of the earth in the story of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, "...the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the, of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters." So it's thought that maybe this is the time. Why? Because in Psalms chapter 33, verse 6, when it's describing how God made everything, it says that He's doing it by His voice. And often in the Scriptures, the voice of God is described as sounding like a trumpet. And so in Psalm chapter 33, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the word of the Lord, what He speaks. And all the hosts of them by the breath of His mouth. And actually, in another time in the scriptures, which we don't, uh, we're not, uh, don't turn there either. It's not, it's not on my slideshow. But in another section of scriptures uh, where the feast of trumpets is mentioned, it's in Numbers chapter twenty-nine, verse one through six, and it actually says this. It says, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work, for it is a day of blowing the trumpet. And you shall offer a burnt offering, a sweet aroma to the Lord, a young bull, one ram, and the seventh lamb in the year without blemish. It goes into all of these different, all of these different uh, uh, things that are supposed to be sacrificed, that are supposed to be offered as we focus on the Lord that day. But actually the way it's stated in the Hebrew is it actually says the voice of the trumpet. 
And so the thought is that if it's referring to the voice of the trumpet, that maybe it's referring to God's voice. Maybe it's referring to when the Lord spoke to us. So they associate it, like I said, when the law came down. They associate it when the Lord spoke over Moses. But throughout the holiday, something that was clear in the instructions in this section in Numbers chapter 29 is there were supposed to be a lot of offerings made to God because the thought is, is that this is a time of appealing to God before the Day of Atonement, the day in which the people of Israel would annually go to be forgiven of their sins. Something that prophetically is always stated regarding the blowing of the trumpet is the gathering of God's people. In the book of Isaiah, which I think we have this in the next slide, don't we? Yep, the book of Isaiah, chapter 27, verses 12 through 13. This is what it says. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will thresh from the channel of the river to the, bro- to the brook of Egypt, and you will be gathered one by one, O you children of Israel. So it shall be that day the great trumpet will blow, and they will come who are about to perish in the land of Assyria. And they who are outcast from the land of Egypt shall worship the Lord in the holy mount of Jerusalem. It's interesting because the idea of the gathering of the people from the nations of the world, this is a fascinating thought, but it's something that the Jewish people have a very strong belief that one of the things when the Messiah comes that He's going to do is He's going to gather His people from all over. As we'll look at some verses later in the New Testament that give that depiction. So interestingly, when we look at this, if this is a time that is pointing forward to when God will gather the people, it also has to do with the coming of the Messiah. So we have these three feasts earlier in the year that point to His first coming with His death, His resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And now we have these later three feasts that look like they're pointing forward to future things. One of which is the return of our Lord Jesus. How exciting is that? Especially in times where things are chaotic, right? And things don't seem quite orderly. And like I said, what we do is we read out of the Psalms at this point in time. One of the Psalms that we read is in Psalms chapter 118, or 113, excuse me. We read Psalms 113 through 118. And Psalms 113 goes like this. Praise the Lord. Praise the servant of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above the nations. His glory above the heavens. You'll hear these words that are describing really the a person who is about to be king. These are the same words that are used when they would anoint a king. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and that are on earth. He he raises the poor out of the dust, lifts the needy out of the ashes, that He may seat Him with princes and with princes of His people. It starts to talk about God being anointed into a position of power. Let's go to the next slide. The prophet Daniel has this fascinating prophecy. This is actually where the term Son of Man comes from. In Daniel chapter 7, what occurs 
is God is describing the situation. In verse 9, before we take a look at the two verses that we have here in 13 and 14, he says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated and his garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was a pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame and its wheels a burning fire. So leading up to this section of Scripture, there's something interesting that occurs where... Oh, it's kind of showed up funny sorry about that but but there's something interesting that occurs to where God's describing or Daniel's describing this vision this prophecy that he has where there's multiple thrones in heaven isn't that interesting one of them is called the ancient of days then another one coming from the thrones comes down and this is what it says in Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 and 14 I was watching in the night vision and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought Him near before Him. This is where Son of Man comes from, this term. And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. When Jesus is referring to Himself as the Son of Man, He's giving Himself, He's actually quoting from here. And people that heard that in the New Testament Scriptures, when they heard Him describe Himself as the Son of Man, what He's doing is He's saying that He is the promised King. He is the coming Messiah. He is the One that is going to be given glory and dominion and power forever. The term Son of Man does not mean He's biologically a descendant of men exclusively. It's actually referring to this in particular. But what's fascinating about this promise that's given to this man, this man is coming from a throne in heaven. There are multiple thrones in heaven. And what it's being described, it looks like that the Father has a throne, the Son has a throne. And the Son comes down and is given all authority, all power, and this is what He comes to do. And it says it says this, when it says that... Uh, um, that uh, all the nations shall serve Him. It says that He's going to be given dominion. These are terms that are only given to gods. So, when it's describing the Son of Man in the book of Daniel, it's actually describing God coming down from heaven and being worshipped by humanity and being enthroned as a king. You see, sometimes people don't have this, they question this. They wonder, well, why did the Jewish people reject Jesus as the Messiah? Well, what happened was, is when Jesus comes as the promised Messiah, that the, what He did when He had already come is He really fulfilled the priestly components of what the Messiah was going to do. Because Jesus died for our sins. What the priests did was they would sacrifice the animals for the sins of the people. So Jesus then rose from the dead so that then death could be overcome. This issue of dealing with death, not necessarily the issues of coming to rule and reign. The people of Israel were expecting a king who was going to come and rule and reign, free them from their enemies, have the nations bow down before them. And when Jesus didn't do these things, then the people of Israel said, well, this isn't the Messiah we were looking for. But the unfortunate thing for the people of Israel is they missed 
the fulfillment that he did in all of the priestly functions that the Messiah was going to do, which was going to make atonement for our sins, offer us eternal life, and then have the Spirit of God come and dwell within us. All these priestly things. But what's interesting is this holiday, in which is to coronate God is King, is most likely referring to the second coming of Jesus. Because when He returns, He will be sitting on a throne in Jerusalem as King ruling and reigning. Matthew refers to this in the Gospel of Matthew. Let's go to the next section. Starting in chapter 24, verses 29 through 31, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will hear of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory and He will send His angels, listen to this, with a great sound of a what? Trumpet. And they will gather together His elect from the four corners from one end of the earth to the other. Isn't that interesting? So we see prophetically when Jesus returns at the sound of a trumpet He gathers his people. This holiday is prophetically pointing forward to the return of our Lord. In Revelation, in the book of uh, Revelation, chapter 11, verses 15 through 16, it says this. Actually, before we go there, let's, let's, let's touch on this thing right here. So this is really what it's pointing forward to. One of the things is when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom here. Okay. And it's interesting that, the, that Daniel was addressing this when he says that there's a king coming who's going to give all power and dominion and glory. Because in the book of Daniel, there's many prophecies that Daniel receives that talk about failed governments. What they do is they talk about where you have this kingdom, you know, you have the Babylonian kingdom, it's going to fail. And then you have the Persian kingdom, the Medo-Persians, and that kingdom's going to come and it's going to fail. And then you have the Greek kingdom coming and that's going to fail. And then you have Rome coming and that's going to fail. But yet there's a kingdom that's going to rule and reign and last forever and that's the kingdom where Jesus is king. The only righteous king, the only good king. This is a fascinating thing if you think about this. If you have a leader... How do you know that your leader of your city, of your state, of your country, uh, how do you know that that leader has your best interest in mind? It's hard to tell sometimes. And sometimes they probably don't. But Jesus proved that He does. Because He has, He's so focused on you, He so loves you, that He died for you. Your king, the rightful king of the world, died so that you don't have to suffer eternally. He proved he's a righteous king. He proved he's worthy to be followed. Every government, every country, every nation of the world will fall except one. 
And that's the kingdom that's established by Jesus. And this is pointing forward to this. And so when we blow the trumpets, let it be a time to where we praise God and looking forward to having an established, trustworthy, wonderful, loving, caring leader who will establish righteousness and peace on earth. Amen. Has anyone here ever been disheartened by their government? Your government ever fall short, maybe, or not do what they're trying to accomplish, or maybe not even try to accomplish good things? This is all temporary. Because the government we're looking forward to is not China's government. It's not Russia's government. It's not America's government. It's the government that's going to be established by our only righteous king, which is Jesus. Okay, now, Revelation chapter 11. It says this, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there was loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before the throne fell on their faces and worshipped God. This is the seventh trumpet. So when we blow the shofar, we're looking forward to the kingdom to be established by our Lord. Something that we always read during this time is the story of the binding of Isaac. Let's go to the next slide. The reason that we read this story is because we actually believe that this, that tomorrow night is the same date that Abraham went to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice on the altar. Which also gives us some indication as why we call this the Feast of Trumpets. Let's, let's take a look at this. So, so what happens during this story is God makes a promise to Abraham and He tells Abraham that Abraham is going to have a descendant that is going to bless all of the nations of the world. All of them are going to be blessed through this descendant of Abraham. And when God says something, it happens. So, there's something different about how the Lord is versus how I am, right? If I, if I tell you, let it be raining outside, it's not raining. But if God says, let it rain, you'll be rain. God can't lie. His Word is tangible. What He says happens. When God said, let there be light, there was light. When God said, let there be birds in the air and fish in the sea, there were birds in the air and fish in the sea. God can't lie because when He says something, it happens. His Word is tangible. And God made a promise to Abraham that He was going to have a child who through his descendants, all of the nations of the world were going to be blessed. This eventually gets passed down to Abraham's son Isaac and then Jacob and then from Jacob into Judah and then from Judah it eventually comes through the King David and then the descendant comes who's the Messiah who is Jesus who rules and reigns forever eventually although He did come and save the world all those who are willing to accept His sacrifice already. But so this promise was made, but yet then God gives this very strange instruction to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, he said, Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, to go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains 
which I shall tell you. Interesting. So he says, I'm going to bless all the world through this son. Now go kill him. Strange request. If we look in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5 and 6, one of my favorite sections of Scripture, some of my favorite verses right here, and this is so important for us. Listen to what it says. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad, who is Isaac, and I will go up yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and the knife and the two men went together. Uh, according to Jewish tradition, Isaac's about 30 years old here. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we think of him as a baby. He clearly isn't because he's carrying his own wood to build an altar. But something that is stated here and this is the first time that this word is ever used in Scripture, is Abraham says that they're going to go up and worship God. This is interesting. Think about this. The first time worship is ever mentioned in the Scriptures is a father going to offer up his son as a sacrifice. Prophetically, powerfully pointing forward to what God is going to do with Jesus when He's going to offer Him up as a sacrifice on our behalf by the grace of God. But also, it is important to recognize and to understand what the context of worship is here. Worship is giving to God what's most important. Worship is giving of God us. This is what worship is in its context in the Hebrew Scriptures. When we worship, our heart should be to give of ourselves to the Lord. That's the context. That's how we see it utilized. But listen to what he says. Right after he says that they're going to go worship, he says that the la and he says, and we will come back to you. That's what Abraham says. Abraham says, we're going to come back to you. Let's go to the next slide. This is in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12 through 13. And it says, And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, God says, right when Abraham's about to sacrifice him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. And this is the reason, most likely, that on this day we blow the ram's horns. Because it's to remember that God offered a sacrifice in place of. And it was a ram. Go to the next slide. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says about this whole situation, this whole story. He said this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his son, his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac you shall be called. But listen to what he says in verse 19. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Isn't that interesting? 
Remember, when Abraham went to go offer up Isaac, he told his servants that the lad and I are going to come back. Because even knowing that he was going up there to kill his son, he said that they were going to come back. Why? Because he trusted that God's promise would occur and Isaac would have children and he had not had children at this point in time and that these children would fulfill the promise that God had made because God said, through your son Isaac, you will have more descendants than the stars in the sky. And because he fully trusted God's word and God's promises, he knew that God could raise his son from the dead on this day that starts tomorrow night. Let's go to the next slide. Look at what Paul says about the sound of a trumpet. Prophetically, what's going to happen at the sound of a trumpet. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58, but uh, let's, we'll just really focus on a few verses here. This is what it says. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit in incorruption. That's what he starts by saying in verse 50. And then verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, as it says here. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In verse 52, he says, In the moment and the twinkling of an eye, at the last what? For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. goes on in verse 55 and says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Because this is understood, that when the Lord returns, you guys aren't going to be left behind if you're a follower of Jesus. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you will be raised from the dead with new bodies. How exciting is that? This one's getting older. I'm really excited about dying, by the way. I really am. I really am. And there's two reasons. One of which is I can't wait to be with my Lord. And the other one is I can't wait to get rid of this sin bag. It'll be gone. Because we get new bodies. But this is what He promises us. That at the sound of a last trumpet that we are going to be raised from the dead, our Lord returns. He gathers the elect. He raises us from the dead. Most likely, this coming holiday that starts tomorrow night is prophetically pointing forward to the return of our Lord and to the resurrection of the dead. Fascinating. And what's interesting about this and what's so important to us as believers in Jesus is just like we saw how Passover prophetically pointed forward to the death of our Passover lamb, Jesus the Messiah, and He fulfilled that. And just like we see how first fruits prophetically pointed forward to when Jesus was going to overcome death and He fulfilled that. And just like while we see that the Feast of Weeks was prophetically pointing forward to when the Spirit of God comes upon the church and He fulfilled that, you can be assured that you will be raised from the dead for all of us who put our faith in Jesus because this holiday prophetically pointed forward to this very event. Let's look at the next slide. Skip it. I actually put two of the same accidentally. It's Thessalonians chapter 4. Listen to this. 
For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet right, of God. And the dead in Christ will raise first. What a wonderful God we have. What amazing promises He makes. And what an amazing faith that we can trust in because He has fulfilled all of the things that He had promised up until this point. We trust fully that He will fulfill the things that He is going to do, including the things that this very important holiday tomorrow point to. Let's pray. Elvinu Melkeinu, our Lord and our King, the, the title that we give You this time of year, God, because You are worthy. Father God, we thank You for the authority of Your Scripture, Father, for the power of Your Word, God, for the promises that You have kept, Father, miraculously, Lord. And so, God, You give us such strong faith, Father, because really there is so much to trust in in You, God. And Lord, in these times where things are more and more difficult for so many people, God, Lord, we ask, Father, that You come soon. Father, when we blow the trumpets, Father, in celebration of You, God, Lord, we ask, Father, that You remind the people who do not know You, God, to get ready because You're coming. Father, use us, Father, to be able to share Your faith with others, Father, with those who we love, Father, who You put in our lives, God. We ask that You open up the opportunities, God, that You give us the boldness, Father, to share the truth of Your Word, Lord, because we do not want to see anyone, Father, not enter into Your kingdom, God. We want all to repent just as You do. So, Lord, we thank You for this time, God. We thank You for this day. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Let me recite this for you guys quickly. There's a blessing that we give. It's actually given from the Lord for Aaron to give upon the people of Israel. And I'm sure that you have heard this blessing before. We're going to give it in Hebrew and then English. What we do is we actually... in Jewish tradition is we lift our hand. I lift my hand in the symbol of the shin, of the Hebrew word shin. stands for El Shaddai, for God Almighty. And we put them over the people and we give this, bre- this blessing from the Lord, which is, Yet, Yevarechech Adonai Vemishmerecha Yadonai Penevelecha Vechunecha Yese Adonai the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift up His countenance to you, and grant you His peace. Bless you guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's a blessing to be here. I just want to remind you guys very briefly and quickly, I have these brochures in the back. If anyone wants to know how to support our ministry or how to contact me, please pick one of these up. It's a a wonderful thing for us and your prayers are coveted. I have yet to see someone come to faith without a lot of prayer. So, So we do thank you for that.
Thanks, guys. Bless you.